Hello and a very warm welcome as you join us on Search for Truth, your Bible teaching programme with Brian Johnston. Thanks for tuning in. I'm delighted you've joined us for another Bible study. And this 11-week series of programmes is about our Christian identity. With Brian, today we'll be looking at what the Bible says about us and what God has done to make us who we are in Christ. This time, Brian has another question to discuss. It's, can it be true that I'm eternally loved? So, let's go to Brian now to find out. Thanks, John. A man had been driving all day and night in his car and had become very tired. He was sensible. He decided to stop at the side of the road, park up his car and go to sleep in it. As he fell asleep, an early morning jogger came by and knocked on his window. The driver rolled his window down. The jogger asked him, Could you tell me the time? Bleary-eyed, the driver looked at his watch and said, Yes, it's 5am. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. He just closed his eyes again and started sleeping once more when another jogger came by, knocked on the window and asked, Please, could you tell me the time? Bleary-eyed, the man looked at his watch again and said, Yes, it's now 5.30. At this rate, it seemed pretty obvious he wasn't going to get much rest. So he came up with an idea. He wrote a short note and stuck it on the side of his car so that MD running by could see it. It said, I do not know what time it is. Just a few minutes later, another jogger came along. And would you believe it? He knocked on his window. For the third time, the driver rolled it down only to hear the joggers say, Mister, I saw your sign and I just wanted to let you know it's now six o'clock. You can write across the window of your life, I do not have time for trouble, but of this you can be sure, trouble is going to come knocking just the same. In which case, it really is time for a verse from the Apostle Paul. A few verses, in fact, they are found in Paul's Bible letter to the Romans, that is, to the first century Christian believers who were located at Rome in a local church of God there. This is, for many, a favourite chapter of the Bible. Let's enjoy a section of it. That's from Romans chapter 8, verse 28, until the end. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would become the firstborn among many brethren, And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it's written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Bible teacher John Stott once pointed out, helpfully I think, that there are really five unshakable convictions in the first verse we read, which was verse 28. Let's hear it again, just that one verse, Romans 8 verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. True enough, the very first thing we can observe is that it starts with Paul saying, we know. I want us now to explore the five things, according to Paul, which we can know about troubles and difficulties when they intrude into our lives. But first of all, let's be clear that we're talking about knowing, not understanding. On the basis of what the Bible shares with us in this great verse, we can know five things. We can have these unshakable convictions about what's happening to us when we encounter trouble and all of a sudden life hurts. And we're going to get to grips with them in a moment, starting with the first of them. But I really need to emphasise that this kind of knowing is about a certain perspective we can have on the various difficulties of life, but it's not an explanation of why these specific things are happening to us. We may not understand any of the details of God's plan as he permits trouble in our lives. Job, who surely suffered more than anyone else in the whole of the Old Testament, never got to discover the reason why all the evils he suffered started piling up on him. We the readers, in the comfort of our armchair, as we read the Bible, we are let in on the secret, but he never was. He simply learnt to trust in God, in the humbling appreciation of glimpsing by how much God's wisdom exceeded his own. So having clarified that, Let's see what we really can know about what's happening when life hurts, based on God's revelation to us in Romans 8 and verse 28. The first thing we learn is God is at work in our lives. When we read God causes all things to work together, we should recognise that God is the active subject of the verb. It's God who causes the things to work together. In reality, then, he's the one at work in our lives throughout all the troubles we're facing unpleasant as they doubtless are. It might feel as if God has turned his back on us and abandoned us, but feelings are very different from faith. This verse teaches us to believe and so to know that God is working out his purpose in our life, even at that difficult time. Which brings us to the second of the five truths in this verse. The first was that God is at work in us. And the second is that God is at work in us in all things, not just in the good times, but also, and perhaps more so, in the bad times, the times when bad things happen to us. C.S. Lewis put it slightly differently. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures and shouts to us in our pain, pain being his megaphone. Physical pain is a means by which our body warns us against things that can damage us, such as a child learning not to play with fire. To use another analogy, in times of drought, trees grow deeper roots in search of water. Later, this experience brings with it the reward of greater stability through a better developed root structure extending throughout the soil. The bad time of drought actually left the tree better equipped 
to face future storms. Having explored briefly how God can work out his purpose in our lives in the bad times as well as in the good, and perhaps even more so in those tough experiences, let's hear what the Apostle James has to say on this same point. James 1 and verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, he says, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But we must move on. We've covered two of the five unshakable convictions, hidden like treasure, in Romans 8 and verse 28. So far, we've seen that God is at work in us at all times. The third point begins to deal with God's intention in allowing his child to pass through such trouble. The verse states that it is for the good, that is, for our longer term and future good. We're not expected to fool ourselves into thinking that the present trouble through which we're passing is really a good thing in itself, after all. No, that would be to part company with reality. Trials are, by definition, not pleasant and so not enjoyable. But as James was saying a moment ago in what he wrote in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, we can, by God's grace, through faith in his word, come to regard this present difficulty as a dreaded friend or even as a glorious intruder. To quote two Christians I've met who've passed through life-changing illnesses or accidents. Perhaps the analogy here is the tough time we have at the dentist. But it's finally worth it when we are left free of toothache as a result. In the same way, we can pass through challenging, growing pains in Christian life as we develop more of the character God desires to see in us, and later we may look back and be satisfied. The fourth truth is a vital reminder. It reminds us that God truly loves us and will not cause his child needless pain. This is where we learn that God is at work in us, in all things, for the good of those who love him. This is a necessary limitation. Verse 28 of Romans 8, from which we're bringing out this teaching, only applies to God's children, to those who've put their faith in Christ and so become his own. Finally, we learn our fifth truth, that the God who works in us, in all things, for our good, that is the good of those who love him, is the God who called us at the beginning when we first responded to the Christian good news message and who is continuing to shape us according to his ongoing purpose in us. Everything that happens to us is purposeful if we submit to God's plan. And that ongoing purpose is shared in the very next verse, verse 29. But let's read it together with verse 28, which we've been concentrating on thus far. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Clearly, it's God's purpose that we should become like his Son, Jesus. That's our destiny, to be totally identified with him. All believers in the world to come will be perfectly like Christ. But God takes great pleasure in shaping our lives down here, to reflect more and more the character of the one who entered into his glories by the pathway of sufferings. And when we go through troubles, let's not deny God's love to us as his people have at times done, but let's say with Paul, 
For I am convinced, he says in verse 38, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Each week I remind you that uh, the transcripts of all 11 talks in this series are available together in book form and it has the title A Crisis of Identity. So if you'd like a copy, just write in. We'd also be pleased to hear any comments or questions you might have. And I'll be giving you the contact details shortly, but the talk you've heard today is also available to download via the internet in audio or text format. So, to obtain the book uh, Crisis of Identity, uh, you can write in by email or by post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. I hope you enjoyed Brian's study today and found it greatly encouraging. It's been great to enjoy your company and I hope you'll join us next time when Brian will be looking into the Bible again with the title of the talk, A Spirit of Nationalism. So to find out what that's all about, I hope you'll join us. Until then, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So cheerio and may God richly bless you. Yeah.